Please listen carefully. Hello, universe. Welcome to the Optimist Daily Update. I'm Summers McKay. And I am Christy Jansen. And we are part of the team behind the Optimist Daily, making solutions the news. We bring you reader-supported solutions news every day in order to change the tenor of news media, social media, and the direction of your day to help us all remember that there are solutions out there. Seven days a week, we publish positive news stories written by award-winning journalists and delivered online to your inbox and through our social channels. And also, we're sharing these solutions in a commute-worthy, walk-worthy, home-office-worthy podcast. Today is Friday, the 3rd of June, 2022. Happy Friday, Christy! Happy Friday! Yes, yes, we're, we're looking forward to the weekend over here. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, I got caught in a secret thunderstorm yesterday, a surprise thunderstorm, not a secret yeah, thunderstorm. Yeah, was it secret? Like so nobody was, else knew about well, it? it was well, like- it was funny because like it was like a earth secret because nobody was expecting it in my community. This was just after the pod record and um, we were all like the guys who were working on my house. I was working in the garden and then there were people delivering things and all this and my friend was coming over and um, all of a sudden out of nowhere, just like an unbelievable just deluge of thunderstorm. And um, so I was out staking my gladiolus, which we talked about earlier on the pod, right? And so I had all of my garden equipment outside. It was just very funny. And I spent most of the day just sort of laughing at the suddenness of spring and that, I guess, now summer and a big summer storm that came our way. But we were grateful for the rain. We definitely need it. But that that got me thinking about playing in my garden and just being playful and, and having a weekend. So I'm definitely in a weekend mood today. Are you going to get the garden Barbie? That you showed uh, me the other day after we so looked at the Barbie. Oh, there's a chance that maybe I did get the garden Barbie. And she's really cute. And she has like carrots and a little bunny rabbit. And so like there, there's a chance that Brennan will be getting her garden, <laughs> her garden Barbie maybe this weekend. However, as I mentioned to you, she also is kind of going through like a big tantrum phase. And so I'm trying not to go yeah. into like full parental bribery of like, if you don't throw a tantrum for the next eight minutes, I'll give you a toy. No. Absolutely. So yeah. Um, but yes, garden Barbie. And um, I guess I am garden Barbie. And <laughs> well, I think we have we have two stories that kind yeah. of are garden garden worthy, exactly garden worthy. Yeah, that are about being stewards of our planet, of our land through how we engage with it. And yeah. I mean, that's kind of a very broad, very broad, uh, broad. But, but why don't do you want to do your article first? I've talked a lot already. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> I will tell about talk about my story because perfect. I just I ca- it just captured my imagination. It focuses on something which is very, very important for healing our planet, which Mm -hmm. is seagrass. Mm -hmm. But the headline reads, scientists discover world's largest plant off the Australian coast. We've talked about General Sherman, which is the largest tree in the world before. Uh, We've written about it on on the Optimist Daily. It's a giant, General Sherman is a giant sequoia that lives in Sequoia National Park, and it's 275 feet tall, nearly the length of a football field. Turns out General Sherman is not actually the biggest plant on earth. Turns out that would be a patch of seagrass off the coast of Australia in Shark Bay, which is in fact one plant and is three times the size of the island of Manhattan. (laughs) This is this massive plant, which is all 
it's all one patch of grass, basically, mm-hmm. uh, made out of ribbon weed, which is a seagrass. It's an enormous seagrass meadow that was found in Shark Bay, about 500 miles north of Perth on the west coast of Australia. The scientific team that is writing about this stumbled on the meadow by accident while they were researching the genetic diversity of seagrass in general. One of the reasons for that is that seagrass is, like other ocean foliage, very important for the health of the biosphere and the health of the marine environment. It gives habitat for fish. It is also a tremendous uh, carbon sink, uh, kelp forest, seagrass, very important. And there, there's food that can be harvested from these kinds of areas. Anyway, so they're researching the g- genetic diversity of seagrass, and they stumbled upon this patch of ribbon weed, which is seagrass that's growing along many parts of Australia's coast. But this particular area, which covers 77 square miles, is a huge expanse and it, it, it's all genetically identical. So it's one animal, basically, one plant that has been growing here for about 4,500 years. It's also, so it's quite old wow. if you think about it. If wow. you think about it. So I was kind of blown away by this story a little bit, Christy, yeah. because I was like, what could that look like? What is that? And of yeah. course, you know, we have a picture on the Optimist Daily, but I went and I looked at it and it looks like this beautiful meadow with mm-hmm. green grass and colored shoots. And I mean, it's, it's just an, gorgeous. It's undersea meadow. It's a very hardy plant. Apparently it can stand different degrees of salinity. It can dis, it can stand a different range of temperature. It can stand getting very little light and it grows at about 35 centimeters a year. <laughs> so that's why it's taken 4,500 years to get as big right. as it is. And it is kind of awesome and it is kind of beautiful. And it also kind of, to me, opens your mind. We like to think of individuals, like each of us as an individual and we're mm-hmm. like distinct and separate and we are us. But if you think about it, we are part of a bigger fabric of our communities and our families. In a similar way, like these trees, which are one species, but you see one tree, like an aspen is all identically, they're all genetically, a stand of aspen trees can be mm-hmm. like, a, it's really one plant with lots right. of shoots going up, right? Right. In a similar way, this ribbon grass is really one plant, but it covers the equivalent of 20,000 football fields. So I just, I just, I just like it because it it opens your mind to the diversity of life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how powerful life can be. Well, and how important it is to recognize the interconnectivity as well, Mm -hmm. right? So if, if one was not thinking that this was a hugely connected one plant and decided to just hack at half of it, you could unintentionally kill all of it, right? You could, you know, so- Not not respecting biodiversity, not using natural tools can actually cause major destruction. And um, I guess that's that will segue into my story, which is about using natural tools to prevent or minimize major destruction. So I chose my story for two reasons. One, it is submitted by one of our readers, Warren Peterson. Thank you very much, Warren, for submitting. As you guys know, we sent a call out asking for people to send us stories, people, individuals, organizations that are inspiring them and changing the world for good. And so Warren sent this in. The second reason I chose this story is because I love 
goats. Goats are literally the cutest animals. Well, they're super cute when they're babies. Anyway, all that aside. <laughs> when they don't eat eat everything. <laughs> yeah, when they don't eat everything, they're darling. But uh, my headline reads, Firefighting Goats and the Ojai Valley Fire Safe Council. Now, Ojai Valley is an area in California where uh, nearby where I used to live and where I spend a lot of time. It is also where, you know, I have a lot of friends who are in that area. So I am particularly touched by this story as well because I have lived through the California wildfires that have really, really harmed the Ojai Valley. Surrounded by rugged, steep mountains penetrated by hot, dry Santa Ana winds, the Ojai Valley is particularly susceptible to wildfire, being in the top 1% of the regions in the U.S. and the top 3% in California. The region's limited evacuation routes, vulnerable grid dependency, and communication dead zones compound the situation. Particular care and creative problem solving are needed to preserve the area's natural ecosystems and protect all life in the valley. Now enter the Ojai Valley Fire Safe Council, an organization that runs extensive vegetation management projects to deal with the pressing issues of wildfires. Now, Warren Peterson is the executive director of the OVFSC, and he gave us some further insight into the group's work. They have been working since 2001 with wildfire education to schools, residents, ranchers, farmers, landscapers, and landowners to help defensible space enhancements and assistance, other vegetation management, fuel reduction projects, home hardening assessments, and community events. What this story is really about is Oak Grove School has deployed one climate resilient strategy they use to fire adapt the landscape, and that's animals such as goats and sheep. Now, many of you may have remembered listening to hear about Christie's family uh, ranch where they were using goats and the goats had llama who were their bodyguards. <laughs> I love that idea and I love that story. <laughs> the livestock grazes and clears vegetation that might have otherwise become wildfire fuel. This also aids in soil regeneration, right? Because what they eat, they also poop. Oak Grove School has been one of the many collaborators who welcome the animals onto their campus as a fire mitigation strategy. Now, I love this also because then that actually is showing education to all of the students about ways to prevent catastrophic fires. The Thomas Fire was a really, really major fire that hit the Ojai Valley, and it made us all really think about it, but think about ways that a community can come together to survive through that. And Warren Peterson's personal experience, he's quoted as saying, I personally experienced the Thomas Fire and saw a need for increased community capacity and resiliency. The OVFSC does just this, taking in community-centered approach and using comprehensive, holistic, community-based, and community-driven initiatives to, to prevent catastrophic fires. You know, I think that this is, Christy, this is very poignant to you as well because you live in the area um, where wildfires have definitely devastated the state. Uh, and, and what I like about this is that while the state of California has huge funding available for wildfire protection, less than 5% of it actually goes towards specific communities. And this mm -hmm. is a way for communities to work together themselves and really use community activism and private and public resources in order to protect the community. So not just yeah. waiting for the state to, to handle it, but stepping up and handling it themselves. And honestly, that's the only way we're really going to be able to address this because it, it just, it's proven impossible for 
larger and larger jurisdictions to even understand what is needed at the local level. Exactly. This is a beautiful example of how sort of the uh, grassroots work and a local community has come together to design a program, which does seem to be effective. Mm -hmm. And it's a great collaboration between both public and private sectors. Yeah. Plus it's uh, sort of a renewal of an appreciation of how of how a more sustainable approach can mm-hmm. be effective mm-hmm. uh, by using goats, which yeah. hey, working working it, with our creature friends, exactly, exactly. And I think there's been a re a resurgence of that kind of approach all over the state. I mean, he, here in Santa Barbara, there's a lot of goats and sheep, and a project I'm working on up in Northern California incorporates grazers as part of the wildfire management approach. And yeah, it's a little bit more expensive to bring them in than just tractoring it over, but it's actually a lot more effective. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and it, it's, you spend a little bit more up front, but you spend a lot less later on. So exactly, I like it. I like exactly. it. This is a great story. And I'm so happy that we had a reader write in about it. And I'm impressed by Mr. Peterson and the work that he's making happen. Yep. Go, go, Warren. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. Go goats. Go goats. Right. goats. Go, go goats. goats. Okay. Other stories that we have today, Christy, what have we got? We have some simple tips for making homemade fertilizer. Biologists have uncovered secrets of parachuting salamanders. 10 simple things you can do to boost your mood, according to experts. A guide to the bugs eating your garden plants. Even if you don't have goats, you might have bugs. Right. <laughs> what else, Summers? There is a new device that helps protect endangered whales from crashing into ships. Gene therapy could effectively treat chronic pain from spinal injuries. British Columbia decriminalizes small amounts of drugs to reduce deaths. And the case for setting rest goals and how to do it. That and much, much more, as always, is available on today's Optimist Daily. We promise to continue to share positive solution-based stories with ideas on how you can participate in this changing world and ensure it's change for the good here on the Optimist Daily Update. And as always, folks, support us for free, share us on socials, forward a story to a friend, or consider becoming an emissary on theoptimistdaily.com for as little as $5 a month. Participate in reader-supported independent journalism. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back on Monday with more solutions.